Sport continuously provides its audience with powerfully emotional, healing, and influential moments. And nearly always, these moments are remembered alongside the calls from the broadcasters, lucky enough to be behind the microphone the minute the amazing happens. But what makes them unforgettable stretches far beyond the 30-second clip in which it's captured. This is Mark Grandy, and you're listening to Golden Tones, a podcast dedicated to the art of play-by-play broadcasting, analyzing not the play on the field, but the voices of the people in the booth. Roll the tape. The inbounder will be David Stockton. David Stockton gets it right now. Throws it up top. Jones intercepts it in the front court. One second. Puts up a floater. And he got it. 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 Roosevelt Jones with a runner at the buzzer. And Butler has knocked off Gonzaga. 64 to 63. Unbelievable. And it is absolute bedlam at Hinkle Fieldhouse. That's Brandon Godden on Learfield IMG College in Indianapolis on January 19, 2013. We'll break down the then-voice of the Butler Bulldogs' call in a few minutes, but first, we need context. The 2012-2013 Butler men's basketball team was just two seasons removed from their second consecutive NCAA tournament runner-up finish. In 2010, the Bulldogs lost to the Duke Blue Devils when Gordon Hayward's would-be championship-winning half-court heave rimmed out. The following year, in 2011, Butler lost to the UConn Huskies after shooting just 6 of 37 in the second half. Speaking of the Huskies, by the way, if you haven't yet listened to episode number 17 of the podcast, you should. It breaks down the call of the shot that jump-started UConn on their path to the national championship. Anyway, after two years of falling just short in the program's first two, and only two, Elite Eights, Final Fours, and Championship games, Butler struggled in the 2011 and 2012 campaign, at least relatively speaking. They were favored to win the Horizon League for a sixth straight season, but the Bulldogs were without Hayward, Matt Howard, and Shelvin Mack, all of whom had left the program within the last two seasons. And this season, by the way, was Butler's last as a member of the Horizon League. Instead, though, Valparaiso won the league's regular season title and knocked off the Bulldogs in the semifinal round of the conference tournament. Butler did not make the NCAA tournament or the NIT with a 20-14 record. Instead, they participated in the CBI and lost to eventual champion Pittsburgh in the semifinals. But the offseason was kind to the Bulldogs. Butler returned all but three players from the prior campaign for the 2012-2013 season. In head coach Brad Stevens' sixth and final year at the helm, the Bulldogs joined the Atlantic 10 Conference. This year was the program's only one in the conference, as they joined the new incarnation of the Big East Conference the following year, which, by the way, is still where the Bulldogs reside. Butler played well to start the season, though. They lost to Xavier and Illinois in November, but also beat then-number-9 North Carolina in the Maui Invitational. In December, the Bulldogs beat then-number-1 Indiana in overtime. That win, paired with an 8-2 overall record, pushed Butler into the AP poll for the first time since 2011. The Bulldogs followed their victory win over the Hoosiers with more wins, including the program's first three in Atlantic 10 conference games, against St. Joseph's, Dayton, and Richmond. Those three wins pushed Butler's win streak to 12 games and elevated the Bulldogs to the number 13 spot in the AP poll. Meanwhile, Gonzaga entered the season ranked number 21, 
and under Mark Few were a perennial NCAA tournament team, as they still are. The Zags have not missed an NCAA tournament since 1998. They won their first nine games in the 2012-2013 season before losing to 13th-ranked Illinois in December, the same team Butler lost to in the Maui Invitational Championship game. The Zags bounced back, though. Led by Kelly Olenek, Elias Harris, Kevin Pangos, and others, Gonzaga then won eight games in a row, including a road win versus number 22 Oklahoma State. Sitting at 17-1, the Zags were ranked number 8 in the AP poll before taking a trip to Indianapolis. In one of the premier non-conference games of the season, number 13 Butler on a 12-game win streak hosted number 8 Gonzaga on an 8-game win streak. The matchup even drew ESPN College Game Day to Butler's campus. Despite the fact that they were without leading scorer Rodney Clark because of an injury he suffered a couple of games earlier, Butler kept the game close in the first half. Gonzaga led by one point, 33-32 after 20 minutes, despite shooting nearly 54% from the field. Butler scored the first five points after the break and led for nearly the entire second half, but never by more than five points. Down by one with about a minute and a half left in regulation, Gonzaga briefly regained the lead twice, both on Harris buckets. But Butler responded both times, first with a Roosevelt Jones basket with just over a minute left, and the second with an Alex Barlow layup with 24 seconds remaining. Then with 4.6 seconds left, Olenek drew a foul and made two free throws to again give the Zags a one-point lead, this time 63-62. On the ensuing possession, Barlow traveled after catching the Butler inbound pass near half-court. With 3.5 seconds left, number 8 Gonzaga again possessed the ball, moments away from a huge road win. The inbounder will be David Stockton. David Stockton gets it right now. Throws it up top. Jones intercepts it in the front court. One second. Puts up a floater. And he got it. 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 Roosevelt Jones with a runner at the buzzer. And Butler has knocked off Gonzaga. 64-63. to 63. Unbelievable. And it is absolute bedlam at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Again, that's Brandon Godden on Learfield IMG College. We'll break down his call in a moment. Jones's steal and game-winning floater sealed Butler's 13th straight win and stopped Gonzaga's streak at 8. Butler vaulted to number 9 in the next version of the AP poll. That'd be the highest they'd get, though, as they went 8-5 after beating Gonzaga to end their regular season unranked at 24-7 overall and 11-5 in the Atlantic 10, good enough for a three-way tie for third place in the conference standings. They then lost to number 16 St. Louis in the semifinal round of the Atlantic 10 tournament, but earned the East's number 6 seed in the NCAA tournament. They beat Bucknell, the East's 11 seed, but felt the third-seeded Marquette in the round of 32. Gonzaga, meanwhile, fell two spots to number 10 after the Butler loss, but recovered, winning their final 12 games of the regular season, pushing them to the number one spot in the AP poll. The Zags then won the West Coast Conference Tournament and were awarded with the West's number one seed in the NCAA Tournament. They survived the scare from 16-seed Southern University before falling to ninth-seeded Wichita State, the Cinderella of the 2013 tournament. The Shockers made it all the way to the Final Four. So Jones's game-winning play didn't lead Butler to a championship. It wasn't an epic March Madness moment. It wasn't a major upset. It wasn't a victory over a future champion. 
but for a while, this shot made it seem that the magic that helped Butler to consecutive NCAA tournament championship games just two years prior was again alive and well inside Hinkle Fieldhouse. Let's see how Brandon Godden handled the moment. He starts by telling us who was tasked with bringing the ball in for Gonzaga. The inbounder will be David Stockton. David Stockton gets it right now. First of all, Gauden had mentioned the time and score just before this, so while it may seem that the radio audience is going in a bit blind to the circumstances around this moment, it's not the case. In addition to that, though, Gauden also makes sure that the listeners know who is in charge of throwing the ball in. Throughout the course of a basketball game, the inbounder isn't all too important. That doesn't mean a play-by-play -play broadcaster shouldn't mention who it is, but if it's the inbound play that starts the second half of a game or one after a random timeout in the first half, then it's not necessary. Saying who is bringing the ball up the court or how he or she is being defended, for example, is much more important in most moments. But all of that is out the window here, because with only three and a half seconds left, the importance of the inbounder is maximized. A successful inbound pass, and in all likelihood, Gonzaga holds on to win this game. So with that in mind, Godden made sure to mention it. It's smart and good awareness from Godden, who also knew that after the turnover and the brief stoppage, he had plenty of time to mention the inbounder's name, not just once, but twice. By saying, David Stockton gets it right now, Godden is doing two things. First of all, he's just reinforcing that Stockton is the inbounder for Gonzaga. In case any of his listeners missed him saying it moments ago or needed confirmation, they now have it. But it also serves as the official start of the play. It's not too often that a broadcaster will say, and the play starts right now, or any similar line. You hear it sometimes at the start of a game, whether it be at tip-off for basketball or at kickoff for football. But you don't hear it too often in a situation like this. In my opinion, though, it works here because every second is so important. When Godin says that Stockton gets the ball right now, he's starting the mental clock in every listener's mind. Godin, everyone watching and listening, and even the players on the court, all start subconsciously counting to five as Godin says right now. Because down by one point with three and a half seconds left, Butler's first task defensively is not to let Gonzaga inbound the ball. Gonzaga is without a timeout, therefore Butler's best chance at winning the game might be by forcing a 5 second violation. And Godin's mention of the exact moment that Stockton receives the ball allows the radio audience to track the progress of that mission in their own heads without Godin having to say anything else. Now of course it ends up being not necessary because Stockton throws the ball in pretty quickly and was never in any danger of a 5 second violation. That's irrelevant from a broadcaster's perspective, though, because what is important is making sure you've prepared your audience for a wide range of potential outcomes. Stockton was, however, in danger of a different kind of turnover. Throws it up top, Jones intercepts it! As Olenek, Stockton's target, cuts towards half-court, Stockton throws the ball over the top, thinking that Olenek wasn't going to cut towards mid-court. As a result, it's a turnover, and Godin tracks the play well. He says that Stockton throws it up top, which is the perfect description of the pass. Olenek has the height advantage on Jones, which is why he throws the ball up high. But again, Olenek wasn't expecting that, which opens the door for the shorter Jones to steal the pass. And Godin is on top of that too, saying that Jones intercepts it. Obviously, in the sports world, intercepts is generally reserved for the football field. 
And in my mind, at least, when I hear intercepts, I tend to think of a defensive back leaping high into the air to pick off a pass, high-pointing the ball before the intended target can grab it. With that in mind, when I hear it used in a basketball setting, I tend to think of it in a similar way, in that the defender is high in the air to steal it away from the offense. And that's the case here, as Jones leaves his feet to capitalize on the miscommunication between Stockton and Olenek. It's also worth noting here the efficiency of Godden's words. Both throws it up top and Jones intercepts it are the perfect descriptions for this play, but they're also incredibly simple and quick. In a play like this, a broadcaster's goal should be to accurately describe the play on the court while also staying on time. It's easier said than done, of course, especially when a play takes an unexpected turn like this one. But Godden's work before the play turns allows him to stay on time and not miss a beat as Jones intercepts the pass. And in turn, that sets him up for success as Jones dribbles the ball up the court. Before we listen to the next part of the call, let's imagine we can freeze the action at the moment that Godden says Jones intercepts the pass. With about 3 seconds left, and the ball over 50 feet from the basket, Godden knows both he and Jones are in a race against time. It's subconscious for Godden, but he knows that in this moment, he needs to even further simplify his call to stay on time. What's most important is that Godden tells the radio listeners where the ball is, how much time is left, and what kind of shot is put up. And that's exactly what he does. In the front court, one second, puts up a floater! Godden quickly tells us that Jones is now in the front court, meaning that he's moving closer to the basket with every passing moment. Okay, so he's checked off the location of the ball. And then he says that there is one second. Okay, time and location taken care of. Now, all we need to know is the type of shot, which will almost certainly follow Godden's one second mention. He calls it a floater, an accurate yet quick description of Jones' one-handed running shot from near the right elbow. Obviously, if Jones passes the ball or if it leaves his control for a reason other than a shot, Godden needs to address that but he doesn't necessarily need to continue telling us that he has the ball. If he has the time to do so, great, but it's not imperative with such little time left. As is the case in everyday conversation or while reading a book, we assume that the last person or subject mentioned is the one carrying out the action. So until Godin says another name, his radio audience does not need him to repeat Jones's name to understand that he still has the ball in his hands. It's similar to what we discussed in episode number 14, when Mike Breen went into time-saver mode as Chris Bosch passed the ball out to Ray Allen as time ticked away. Just like Breen, Godden, who doesn't have the benefit of being on television, knows he needs to save time in every way possible to ensure that he doesn't fall behind the action and miss a potential wild game-winning shot. Let's listen to it again. In the front court, one second, puts up a floater! Godden speaks in a group of connected clauses, without a standalone subject, some without verbs, all that couldn't serve as grammatically complete sentences by themselves. All of this just so he can say whether or not the shot falls at the exact moment it happens. He got it! 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 Okay, so it's not clear exactly what Godden says first. I'm not sure if he says he got it or it's good or something else. Whatever it is, it's a bit slurred and jumbled. But it's also clear that he's answering in the affirmative. 
just based on the tone and excitement of his voice, paired with the crowd reaction in the background, it's easy to realize that Jones's floater went in. Of course, if there's any doubt, Godin quickly clears that up by then repeating he got it four times with that same sense of disbelief in his voice. But really, you can't blame Godin for a few garbled words. Just think about the situation. Butler, down one, just turned the ball over with 3.5 seconds left. Then they steal the inbound pass, dribble down the floor, and make a floater before time expires, all of that to beat a future number one seed in one of the premier college basketball games of the season. The excitement of Hinkle Fieldhouse certainly got to Godin, and it's awesome to hear. It's the unadulterated, natural broadcaster reactions like this one that I love and that always enhance a call, in my opinion. And that theme continues as Godin repeats, he got it, four times, which again clears up any confusion the audience might have, but also speaks to the wildness of the situation. Godin, though, quickly gathers himself and circles back. Roosevelt Jones with a runner at the buzzer, and Butler has knocked off Gonzaga, 64-63, unbelievable! This is the first time since the steal that we hear Jones's name again, and it comes at the perfect time. While Godin didn't need to mention Jones's name as he dribbled the ball up the court as we've already talked about, he needs to mention it here because he's recapping the play, and in this moment, without the time constraints that govern the live action, Godin has more freedom and takes advantage. He also calls Jones's shot a runner this time, while he called it a floater in the moment. Runner, floater, what's the difference? Well, there is actually a bit of a difference. A floater is more of a push shot, a shot that, after the ball is released, leaves the shooter's palm facing upward toward the ceiling, while a runner is more of a normal jumper with the flick of the wrist, but while the body is moving forward. But the point here is that they're pretty similar, and Godin found a way to recap the play he just called without repeating himself. That's not easy to do, but Godin pulled it off. He also says that the shot came at the buzzer, meaning that the game is over, and quickly follows it with the impact of the play. Butler has knocked off Gonzaga, 64-63, followed by a quick descriptor. Unbelievable. In moments like this, broadcasters often emphasize the word unbelievable like this, or at least in a similar way. I grew up listening to Tim Roy call Warriors games on the radio, and unbelievable is one of his go-to lines after a miraculous shot or play, so I enjoy hearing Godin say it too. Godin now has checked all the boxes in his circle back. He described the play again, said the game is over, told us who won, who lost, and the score. Now he can wrap up the call and focus on the moment from a wider perspective. And it is absolute bedlam at Hinkle Fieldhouse! Up to this point, we hadn't really had the chance to think about the sounds of the crowd, but Godin takes this moment to describe the scene. By its definition, bedlam means a scene of uproar and confusion. The term bedlam comes from the name of a hospital in London, St. Mary of Bethlehem, which treated the mentally ill in the 1400s. The pronunciation has since morphed into bedlam, and the term now is a synonym for pandemonium. Regardless of the word's origin, though, it is an accurate description of Hinkle Fieldhouse's reaction in the moment, and Godin's use of the word, paired with the noise in the background, makes it easy for the radio listeners to imagine what it looks like inside. Just as Jones calmly handled the challenge of stealing the inbound pass and scoring the game-winning bucket, 
God unsteadily described each leg of the moment as it unfolded. Let's listen to the call one more time. Here is Brandon Godden of Learfield IMG College calling Roosevelt Jones' buzzer beater for Butler against Gonzaga. The inbounder will be David Stockton. David Stockton gets it right now. Throws it up top. Jones intercepts it in the front court. One second. Puts up a floater. He got it. 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 Roosevelt Jones with a runner at the buzzer. And Butler has knocked off Gonzaga. 64 to 63. Unbelievable. And it is absolute bedlam at Hinkle Fieldhouse. New episodes of Golden Tones drop each Tuesday morning. You can listen everywhere you get your podcast. Just search Golden Tones. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It'd be much appreciated. Also, do you have a call or highlight you think I should feature in a future episode? Let me know on Twitter at Golden Tones Pod or at Mark Grandy.